What is this? For the masses. Welcome to the For the Masses podcast. My name is John Barrett, your host. And I just finished episode 11. The numbers keep going up and it's stuck. I'm going to say that every episode. I'm telling you that right now. All right. But I'm grateful and I'm blessed to be here. I just finished up an amazing episode with my good friend, Maddie Davin. We talk about her experiences being a female teacher at an all-boys prep school, all-boys Catholic prep school. And we get into how she uses her faith to, you know, impress upon these young men in a positive way. But before we get into the episode and before I spill all the tea, uh, let's get some admin tasks out of the way. Please follow us on Instagram at underscore for the masses podcast, Facebook for the masses podcast, and YouTube at JB the masses. I got it wrong on the last episodes, but again, the YouTube is at JB the masses. Okay. And I'll be posting the interviews there and my Miami vlog will be posted there very, very, very soon. But now episode 11, Maddie Davin, a good friend of mine. We grew up in campus ministry together. Our high school experience grew uh, by a very similar spiritual directors. And this is an amazing individual with uh, an amazing outlook, a heart for service. And she really does, uh, live the example of our Savior Jesus Christ. So I'm looking forward to everyone getting these keys. Let's jump into the episode for the Masses Podcast. Maddie D, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, JB. Hey, little note, does anyone know that this is our second go around and we started five minutes ago, but we're just going to do it again because that's Yeah, you know, it's fine. (laughs) Maddie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, JB? I'm good. I'm good. I made you wait. And then when we got on a podcast, we jumped into it, but I had to step away. But I know you're a, a gracious woman and I appreciate your time. No worries. No worries. We got to be patient for everybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Maddie, so where are you from originally? Um, I grew up in Kensington, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. And I grew up my entire life there. Went to high school in D.C., Went to college in Wheeling, West Virginia, which was a big change of pace. And now I'm back, now back in the D.C. area. Absolutely. So, Maddie, what high school did you go to? I went to Georgetown Visitation, um, which is the oldest all-girls Catholic school in the country, which is a lot of of pressure, but a a lot of fun. Wow, that's like illustrious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, What made you go there? Your parents just put you there and you wanted to go? So, the... Let me tell you about the Catholic high school scene in the D.C. area, J.B. Fair. Okay, tell me. <laughs> it was more stressful applying to high school than it was applying to colleges, for me at least. What? Yeah, so you had to go through and go to open houses. You had to go you in a shadow. You had to, like, you know, write your essays, do your interviews, all that jazz. And there's, like, four or five all-girls high schools, you know, two or three, four all-boys high schools and some co-ed schools. So you have to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. You have to take the tests and all that fun stuff. And so when I was looking at high schools, I, you know, I didn't really, you know, know what I wanted because you're not supposed to. For high school, at least. Yeah, you're not supposed to have those decisions when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old. But my aunts had both gone to visitation. So I had already, like, n- known about it and then... I just liked the experience when I went down there and, you know, I did the whole shadow visit and everything and they decided to take me and that's the place I ended up going. I liked it because it was small. Um, it's a student body of about 400 as opposed to the other school I was looking at was about, I don't know, six or 800 maybe. But yeah, main, mainly as a family decision. My parents took my input into consideration, but ultimately they were the ones paying the money. So it was their yeah. decision. And, you know, my family went there. So there was definitely like the legacy. You no, know? Absolutely. So there's so many questions that like are left 
unanswered when you say you went to like all girls Catholic school in DC. Hold on, so did you did you like have to like take the metro to school? Did your parents drop you? Like, how was that? Yeah. So generally, you would carpool in. Um, so okay. you'd find a group of girls in your neighborhood. There'd be a junior or senior who could drive who would drive you in. But then after that, you were more or less on your own. So if you played sports, if you did clubs, if you were in theater, if you did any of those things, you know, you're kind of finding your way home, whether that's through other people who live in your area who happen to be doing those activities, which happen for me sometimes. Um, but often I would metro home. So there's no metro stop in Georgetown, which is where um, my high school was. So you'd have to walk to the bus stop take the bus to the metro and then metro home. Or if you miss the bus, then sometimes you just like grudgingly walk the mile and a half to the metro. <laughs> and you're like, you know, 40 pound backpack. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get and, that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but it was a good, it was a good learning experience. I got super familiar with the metro, riding the bus. And it was nice to have that sense of independence. Um, no, I get that. And let me, let me preface this for everyone. Maddie Davin's extremely like humble. Um, she's like extremely, extremely smart. So when she said that the university let her in, or I mean the high school let her in, they they had to because she's like brilliant. I think she, were you developed Victorian in, in high school and college? No, no. See, this is a, so visitation is so high caliber that I was solidly middle of the road. You were solidly, solidly, solidly middle of the road, getting like B's, low A's sort of thing. You didn't really make honor roll, you know, scraping by a little bit um, with my, you know. 3.8 GPA because everybody else is rocking their like, you know, four point pluses. Yeah. So but it was, it was stressful all the time. It was like, you know, everybody was like, you know, I got to study all the time, got to do all my extracurriculars, all about getting into college and stuff. And I was kind of like, I can get a B in physics without studying. And that means that I can watch the baseball game. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, my teachers would you know, feel hearing that now, but it's okay. They yeah. they probably they did the same thing. They just don't yeah. want to tell you because of your teacher. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. And like now working in a high school myself, I kind of, I don't want to say outright encourage kids to take that route because I do want them to achieve. I do want them to spend time studying. But sometimes you need to be there to remind them like, this isn't your whole life. Like take a step back, relax. Yeah. It's going to be okay. You're going to get into college. I got into college. Right. I got into college. Yeah. I, like, you know, did well in Wheeling. Yeah. And you know me. And I didn't always do well in Wheeling. No. <laughs> that was a kidding man. So, so speaking of that, so you left uh, your high school and then you came to Wheeling Jesuit University in Wheeling, West Virginia. Why? So I, it's been a while since I've gone through this story because I haven't been on a Wheeling admissions panel in a while. But <laughs> That's accurate. We all uh, yeah, but I like to say a series of coincidences, which is probably honestly God acting in disguise, as people like to say. Um, but a series of coincidences brought me to Wheeling. First off, um, I knew I wanted to go to a Jesuit college, more or less a bit of a copycat. My brother was at Georgetown, but I knew I didn't want to go to Georgetown because I was too close. So I was like going to all the Jesuit college fairs. And Hold on, Maddie, before you yes. finish, explain what a Jesuit school is. Yes, sure. So um, the Jesuits are an order of priests. Um, in the Catholic Church. And one of their main ministries is education. And they have, you know, grown that ministry so much that some of their colleges are like, you know, top tier, high caliber, like, you know, kind of like that second tier right below the Ivy League schools. Um, so you have schools like Georgetown, Georgetown University, Boston College, Xavier, Xavier, Creighton, and many, many more. Yeah, that I think a total of 27 these days, formerly 28. Um, 
<laughs> insider, insider. Well, we'll get there. But uh, yeah, 27 universities and then I think hundreds, I think, of secondary education high schools. And my brothers had gone to Georgetown Prep, which was one of the boys Jesuits high schools in our area. Actually, the rival to the one I work for now. So that's a whole other story. But uh, I knew I wanted Jesuit education. My my dad went to Georgetown. My uncle went to Marquette. I, that's kind of all you heard about. So that, I knew I wanted to go to one. And so I remember the visitation was going to have like the Jesuit excellence tour, which is like all of the Jesuit high schools or all the Jesuit colleges come to all the high schools and they like do a tour. They do their pitches for, you know, for you. But Georgetown University doesn't like to go to all of them because they don't need to go to all of them because they're going to yeah. get their applicants no matter what. And so it, our, our tour got like snowed out, our, you know, our trip got snowed out or something. So then Georgetown Prep was like, hey, if you were at visitation and your, you know, your jet fare got snowed out, you can come to ours. And Georgetown University's coming is like the only one that they were going to go to. So like everybody flocked to, you know, to North Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and so I walk in with my mom and, you know, we're getting, we're going to, you know, talk to John Carroll and Xavier and Boston College because that was kind of my list. And then everybody's like crowding around Georgetown, Boston College, all these places. And my mom turns and goes, that man over there looks lonely. Let's go talk to him. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so we go over to this table where there's a single guy standing there and we talk and I learn about Wheeling University, Wheeling Jesuit University for the first time. Never really thinking I would apply there, but remembering, I remember he was super nice. Um, that man was uh, Danny Brosnan, who... Uh, Danny been, B. Yeah, he's been, he would be a great person to have on the podcast. But he's been instrumental in my life since that moment. But yeah, that was the first time we met. Didn't intend to go to that fair. Didn't intend to talk to him. Ended up talking to him, having a great conversation. Flash forward to the summer, I'm doing road trips with my dad and to see different colleges. And we had been pairing college visits with baseball games because I love baseball. And so we had done John Carroll. We had done Xavier. We had done University of Dayton. We had done Notre Dame. And we're kind of on our way back. It was our last stop. And we were going to go to Pittsburgh that night to see a Pirates game. And we drive on to Wheeling's campus. So we're driving like past like, you know, NTTC and CET and all that. And my dad goes, looks really small, Maddie. Do you want to just like go to Pittsburgh, go to the game? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, let's give him a shot. And I swear to God, we almost didn't go. Um, but that was the visit that really changed it for me. I had, you know, my dad and I with Danny, he then, you know, Gave us to a student tour guide. I think Zach Ham, maybe. And, you know, it was just kind of this attention I was given, you know, on that visit. Then when I came up periodically throughout my senior year, phone calls Danny would give me, um, the connections I formed with alumni before I was even, had even decided to go there. I was invited to like DC alumni events and, you know, I was getting like business cards saying like, even if you don't go to Wheeling, like here's my business card, I'll give you an internship if you want it, no matter where you go. And that kindness that people showed to me and that like that knowledge and care for who I was as a person, not just as a potential Wheeling student or as they say often, like a number in the application pool. That was what really made me want to go out there and true to, you know, my initial read on the place, like that's how I felt. More or less my whole four years, I felt really like I was valued as a person for what I could bring to the table and not just as like, a, oh, you should feel lucky to be here. So many people could have been here instead. It was yeah. much more of a welcoming environment, I would say. No, I, I agree. And I think um, obviously 
I didn't go to William Jesuit University because of like I wanted the Jesuit education initially. But when I got there and I learned about the uh, Jesuit principles, it, it definitely stuck with me, you know. And uh, for me, it was like after being at another university prior to, which also was very high quality people, I would say. When I got to Jesuit, it was just so, so, so personable everyone and then i met this young lady named maddie d maddie d on campus everyone knew who she was and we're like hey maddie d you know and if it was like and she was just like so humble and so graceful as a as a as a young lady and i was like man she's amazing like let's 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 see what she's about you know and um we ended up like i don't remember when we first met or anything like that but i feel like i always knew you yeah yeah because i think so your senior year i think was my freshman year and I think that we'd be on email lists for campus ministry things for yeah, <laughs> or for Jamie or whatever. And, and I remember being confused about the JB part. I was like, is his name Jonathan or JB? I can't tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you continue to work there. And we got to know each other pretty well through like SGA and through campus ministry um, and through, you know, all of those things that people who get way too involved with things, you know, end up doing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you end up staying at Jesuit for four years. You you end up obviously like loving the Jesuit principles, like services was, I think service was big for all of us. And that's something mm-hmm. we all continue to do. So you went back home and you was like, I want to teach. I want to teach at a Catholic university. Yeah. So I had gone into college with the idea of studying theology and coming back to DC to work as a youth minister. I felt that despite my Catholic high school education, I felt very much like I didn't have a place I could go to if I had questions about my faith or or even just to like, you know, be around pe- other young people who were also kind of questioning things, but also weren't condemning because that's kind of a fine line like in Catholicism, either like it's an overt like, that's a horrible teaching or it's like, I believe everything it says. And there, like it was hard as a high school student to find that like middle ground of like, yeah, some of these things don't make sense to me. Oh, that was my laundry. Yeah. Some of these things don't make sense to me, but I want to try to understand them. So I wanted to go back to DC to be that person that I never really had. So I just always assumed I'd be working at a church and probably for little to no money. <laughs> and then again, Danny Brosnan texts me in the middle, not middle of the night, but you know, it's like, you know, late on a Friday night or something. And he's like, hey, I heard that there's an opening in the campus ministry office at Gonzaga. Would you consider like working there? Because again, my brothers went to the other school. So it was this mm-hmm. like, whole thing that somehow rubbed off on me. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know about Gonzaga. And so then I remember I texted my youngest brother who was a senior at prep at the time. And I said, hey, what, what would you think if I like applied to work at Gonzaga in their campus ministry office? And he responded back saying, well, it's Gonzaga, so I wouldn't like it. But more realistically, you'd get to do retreats and service trips and all the things you already love doing. And it probably would be a really good fit for you professionally. And I was like, all right, little brother knows what's up. He's Uh, a man. (laughs) (laughs) He always does. He always does. So, yeah, I sent an application in and uh, I interviewed when I was home for Easter break. And I think it was a couple of days after graduation, I found out that I got the job. So it was like that was a nice weight off the shoulders. Yes, I've been working there for two years now. That's awesome. And that's an all-boys school, right? It's a, Yeah, it's an all-boys school um, in the heart of D.C., which is, you know, an interesting time. What ages? Like 9 through 9 to 12? Yeah, 9 through 12. Yeah, so we have, you know, 14-year-olds and we have 18-year-olds. Um, oh, my gosh. Maybe. Yeah. You're my first. Because <laughs> I know how I was at 14. And, well, like, I'm if I'm smart now, 14 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm shaking. I'm shaking my head. Everyone listening. So, so Maddie, are you? How many? How many female teachers work at Gonzaga? Oh gosh, I don't know if I could give you an exact number. Definitely more men than women, but not like I'm the only woman. It's I'd say like maybe a maybe sixty forty split, something yeah. like that. Probably you know verify that some way, but it's yeah, definitely not as many as there probably could or maybe should be, yeah. but enough that you don't feel alone and that you feel like you have a nice community to turn to if, you know, some boy says something ridiculous or offensive, which doesn't happen regularly, at least not in my experience. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a time. And I think it's changed a lot over the last even like 15 years. I have some strong female colleagues who are like older and more experienced than I am. And I remember I've talked to them before and they're like, yeah, we didn't have as many people to look up to as you do. And not even in like a, you know, not saying that in a malicious way or anything, but like in like a look how much progress has been made. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and do you feel like, like, since it's all boys high school, do you feel like females being present was necessary or is necessary for development of the students? I think it's so necessary. Like, I, I think that as someone, as a product of it myself and as now someone who supports it, I think single sex education is great. I do think all the things people say about like, you know, allowing students to focus on their work or focus on achieving things, not on other things. I think that that's totally true. That said, you know, there is like a historical precedent of like kind of that, you know, that the boys school culture, whatever word you want to use, the the brotherhood or, you know, toxic masculinity, however you want to approach that. (laughs) It's very real. And so I think that female presence in the boys schools or male presence in the female schools is important in terms of learning how to interact. Because if, uh, you know, if a 16-year-old boy says something to me that doesn't sit well with me, then I have that authority to, you know, correct him in a way that hopefully prevents him and or makes him think twice before saying something like that in front of one of his peers who's female. No, I know, I know absolutely. And that's kind of what I was getting to because I feel like it, it, like that type of environment is like for, for a young man is probably like super good, but these are like their developmental years. Like, so they're not having interaction with women, you know? So like, where are they learning those like social rules, social cues from it? And it seems to be you all. Yeah. I think, I think we're definitely a good starting place for them. I mean, of course you have your, like your mixers and your dances and all of those things. But I, yeah, I think that one of the most important ways they learn how to interact with women is through their how they interact with their teachers and how they see their male teachers interact with their female teachers. I think that all of that kids are like sponges, right? They see everything, they observe everything. And all of that is helpful. And not just when it comes to like, you know, the more, I guess, aggressive sides of like when we talk about toxic masculinity, but also the like, I think it's important. I think women in all guys schools have a way of opening the door to like vulnerability and emotions that, men might not be able to open for them. Like I try to let my students know it's okay. If they're feeling upset, it's okay to feel sad. It's, you know, if their girlfriend dumped them, it's okay. Like, it's okay to feel sad about that. You don't have to, you know, just be tough all the time. Brian Englehart, one of the, he was one of the um, graduate novices out at Wheeling my senior year, I think he gave a nice talk to a man club and women's group about the the wheel of emotions, the feeling wheel um, and about emotional intelligence. And that's one of the tools I turn to like almost every other day. I have it like pinned up on my wall. Oh Um, my gosh. Yeah. So like when the, when the pandemic first hit and we had to shut down school, it was like the last day we were on campus. Like I was just like putting in front of all my students. I was like, how do you feel right now? Like, let's name it. Let's acknowledge it. Let's not 
bury it. And that's, I think, one of the ways that women especially, like adults in general, but I think women especially can help. 100% do it better than us. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm like, hey, you all right? He's like, yeah. All right, yeah. good. Go play. Go right. play basketball. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm over here talking about the big asterisks about like COVID and when you ask how people are and, you know, yeah. just saying they're fine and really meaning they're fine. Everybody's just dealing with something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Much more in tune with like the social issues and like or social <laughs> gaps, I would say. You yeah. know, and um, so like what's the value of like these young men identifying their like vulnerabilities and like feelings? Like what's the value of doing that at, at, as a teenager specifically? Yeah. I think that, I mean, think back to like when you were in high school, what are like the things that you thought were like super important and like live or die yeah. moments and like, you know, hormones and whatnot were like emotional roller coasters those, those four years for sure. And with things that generally are pretty like low risk kind of situations, like sometimes you get someone whose like parent has died or someone who's, you know, dealing with a, you know, family crisis or has an illness or like we do have those like very real significant issues that we help kids process but oftentimes it's you know a girlfriend broke up with me or yeah um, a girl likes me or um all about girls though i didn't get into the school i wanted to or um you know my older brother went here before before me and all my teachers think that my name is his name and like i can't establish my own being like a lot of those things, I think that if we can help them identify their emotions and how to use their emotions and react in those situations, in those like kind of smaller, lower stake situations, hopefully that gives them kind of that like muscle, emotional memory, muscle memory to be able to then take that, take what they've learned and kind of apply that when something more stressful comes up. Because, you know, I agree. I agree. I think, um, and I'm glad you brought up the women issue because that I was ready to say that was like my. In, in high school, that was like probably what I was like stressing on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I sent this text by accident to this girl. Oh my gosh, you know. And um, but even with our college guys, like I noticed, like we'll, they'll come into practice, like wrestling practice, and you're like, man, like what's wrong? You're, you're getting like crushed in here. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta like relax. Like you need a water break, you know? He's like, yeah, you know, my girl is broke with me or something like that to that effect. And, you know, and, and Maddie, you tell me if this is wrong or not. I'm like, okay, well, like be present now, and we'll talk about it later. We'll get ice cream or something. I don't tell you. But, you know, I tell them, like, be present here because, you know, you don't want to get hurt or something like that. And then, you know, we talk about it, you know, outside of practice. But that's typically what I do. What would you do? I think that's great. I mean, I think it's all about context, right? So, like, if you are having an emotional crisis in the middle of a lift or, you know, while you're flying a plane or something, then, of course, you should focus in the moment on doing the task at hand and, Mm -hmm. you know, deal with the emotions later. Um, That being said, um, like in my work, you know, if a student comes into me and I'm, you know, working on, you know, some kind of, you know, you know, spreadsheet or um, some kind of like, you know, data entry for some upcoming retreat, like and the kid comes in who's distraught and he's like, I, you know, I should be doing homework right now. I don't want to bother you, but I need to talk about X, Y, Z thing. Um, like that's the moment when you 100% drop what you're doing and you tell them that it's okay to drop what they're doing and you talk through it because it is, you know, it's all about their context. You don't want them risking their safety and like, you know, dropping a barbell on their chest or something like that. But um, yeah, you also want to let, let, let them know, um, especially in context of like from a coach or something, uh, something they look up to as like an example of masculinity. You want that also to come from them in that, you know, it's okay to feel feel bad right now, dude. And, you know, not just like suck it up and move on forever. But, you know, 
you know, we need to focus on this right now, but let's talk about this later. And I think as long as you have that follow up, like, I think that's, that's great. I, I agree because like, for me, it's like, I never want to come off as if like, I don't care for them, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and well, I, obviously I think, uh, you know, my tone and things like that don't come off that way. Like a complete tool bag, you know, it might sound like a little bit like a tool bag, but not a complete tool bag, you know? So, so it's okay. So, so Maddie, like for, for, especially for your, your, like your university, I mean, your high school, where do you feel like faith comes into a role, like as it relates to like male female interaction and like how like you as teachers like develop the young men? Well, that's a big that's a big question and like a seemingly easy one because like you know we're a Catholic high Catholic school and I'm Catholic sister like bingo check like that's the answer. But like on a on a more realistic level, like or a deeper level, uh, I guess I think that the, first of all the kids see the way that you live your faith. And they, they grasp onto that. And so for me as a woman in the Catholic church, um, I have more limitations in terms of how I can minister or whatever than, you know, some of my male counterparts. And so that's something that I think that depending on how I do that and how I go about doing it, the guys can then can see like, oh, like, you know, there is, there can be a place for women in the church or there's not as much place for women in the church. Like, hmm, maybe that needs to change a little bit. And so I think that like there's there's that level, but then also just seeing the way that their teachers practice their faith on the day to day level is important. I think from women, yeah, yes, that's an important one, but I think also from their male teachers. I think seeing seeing all of their teachers, all of the educators, um, you know, practice their faith, whether it's Catholicism or whether they practice another religion or are just more spiritual, like seeing that authentic practice in action. I think is super helpful in terms of them trying to find their own identity because, you know, we have kids who are Catholic we have, and practicing kids who aren't practicing kids who are Muslim, Jewish, spiritual, nothing. And you want to minister to all of them. And um, you want to make sure that they know that there's a place for them at Gonzaga, whether they are Catholic or not, whether they're, you know, gay, straight, uh, black, white, whatever differentiating thing, you want to make sure that they're, they feel welcome. And I think that starts with how they see see their teachers interact with one another in, you know, opening that door of welcome and not just making it be about like, you know, crossing all the boxes to make sure that we're, you know, Catholic enough, but like also just making sure that we're being an authentic witness to who Jesus Christ was and that we're making sure that our students know that they see G- they can see Jesus all the time, you know, their classmates and their teachers in their friends and the we have a day shelter on campus for men experiencing homelessness so then in the guests who go down there i think that you know being that authentic witness to jesus christ's love is like one of the most important things we can do whether we're a man or a woman wow that's beautiful maddie so you've been groomed well you know <laughs> um you've been groomed well specifically in relatable ministry a ministry where you, you are yourself you know, you follow example of Jesus Christ, but you're relatable to like the demographic, the masses, you know, and um, and that's beautiful because like, um, and, and it's beautiful for me to see your the growth because, you know, uh, day one, Maddie Davin, when I met you a few years ago, it's totally different from Maddie Davin talking to me now. And um, and, and that's beautiful. Uh, I see a more transparent, uh, not, I don't want to say less rigid, but more authentic Maddie Davin who understands where she, where she is in her faith. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's okay to say, I was a little rigid. I I was a little 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 tightly wound. Um Well well rigid in a sense of like how like how open you are to like understanding 
how like uh, you know the the non Catholic Catholic yeah. relationship or is going to the relate. Yeah. I tell Putty this all the time. Like I tell Putty, I'm like, dude, I didn't know you were Catholic. I thought he was just like a you know non uh, non denom Christian contemporary like uh, right to- Toby Mac like yeah. Christian singer. That's what yeah. he looks like. And so yeah, so my hope is that my students do know that I'm Catholic, but that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that they feel that sense of welcome. And I think part of that growth that I experienced in college was through how I interacted with, you know, my peers. Because like you mentioned, JB, a lot of people don't didn't go to Wheeling for the Jesuit education or for yeah. the Catholicism. It was generally about sports or about just like affordable education in the Appalachian region. So I had friends who were all sorts of different faith traditions. And even within the theology department, I, you know, yeah. One of the only other ones my year, uh, only other students yeah. my year, Jake Henley. Um, he's, uh, I want to say, Baptist minister now. Um, yeah. But so we spent a lot of time together studying Protestant theologians, Catholic theologians. And I think that that time spent working with him was super helpful for me in terms of like breaking down those barriers and that kind of sense of us and them and rather, you know, turning more towards that, you know, authentic showing and welcoming of Christ into your life. Absolutely, absolutely. And when Putty was on the podcast too, you know, I get I gave the analogy. All right, if the church is a hospital, it's for the sick. One hundred percent. And um, I, I'm just super, I'm super, super, super big on that. You know, no matter like the demographic you are, or what you identify as, like this place is for you. Yeah. You know. And um, I actually had uh, I don't know if you remember Father Paul Abernathy. Yes, yes. I did an episode with him. It's coming in like two weeks. It's oh my gosh, so amazing! Yeah, so I can't wait. I know he's such amazing. Well, Maddie, I appreciate you jumping on a podcast. Like, I think it's a tremendous amount of value, especially as it relates to like people interacting with uh, younger, younger children, younger kids, younger teens, uh, interacting in their faith, and um, us as you know, young adults and how to interact with them. So, what's one thing you would leave to other people who maybe listening, like they want to, like you know, be more transparent in their faith to their their teenage, you know, brother or sister? Honestly, I think that being authentic is that first step. I think that letting the young, younger people in your life, letting anybody in your life, really, but especially those who are younger and seeking answers, letting them know that you don't have all of them, letting them know that it's okay to question things and that you can question without condemning. And, you know, just pointing to, you know, God, to Christ, to Allah, to who, whatever faith tradition you are, you know, pointing to that kind of greater, greater deity, that greater greater sense of, you know, power um, as the one that holds the answers and that, you know, we're, we're on earth to seek, but not necessarily to always find the complete answers and that you never, you're never going to stop looking and that, you know, I think it's okay for us to be honest with our, with our students and with our younger siblings and with our kids that it's okay to not have all the answers. Oh, absolutely. And that was beautiful. And that was eloquently put, Maddie Devin. <laughs> thank you. you. Know, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. So thank you yeah. for the Masses Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, JB. Maddie Davin just blessed the track. It took us a little bit to get into her story. Then we transferred into her experience at a all-boys prep school in Washington, D.C., being a female teacher. And her outlook is just amazing. And, and you could just tell that She's there for the right reasons. She's there to be impressionable to these young men. And it's just amazing to hear. For me, it's more about her transformation as an individual, like going from young lady trying to um, understand her faith and then really being her authentic self 
and whatever that looks like. You know, so for me, it's really rewarding and I'm super grateful and blessed that she was on a podcast. And I think a key takeaway for anyone listening to this, as Maddie said, just try to be your authentic self, whatever that looks like and whatever your calling is. You know, so I'm super grateful we had our experience. Thank you for listening for the Message Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to my mother, Alfreda Bullock. She ran her race with elegance and pride. I love you forever and always.